In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Brandon is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Cam. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. And welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Zach Heilprin, the Athletics, Jesse Temple along with you. All right, so we just saw the final practice open in the media. We saw, what, nine, I guess, total. and Eight and eight, 30 minutes. Yes, eight and 30 minutes. So we got got to see plenty uh, here these last couple of weeks. We'll be going through all of that coming up here uh, in just a little bit. I did want to mention off the top here, as we get closer to football season, the Badgers can be opening the season two weeks from today. Uh, we have our new Wisconsin football roundtable that's going to be starting on August 29th, we're going to be doing it live out at Coaches Club in Cross Plains. You're more than welcome to stop by. Going to be doing it from 5 to 6 every Thursday night. Um, it's going to be pretty much the same guys every every week uh, with us. Uh, Bill Nagy, the former offensive lineman, played a couple I guess a couple years in the NFL. Never Wasn't much of a starter at Wisconsin, yet still managed to get drafted, which was uh, very impressive. And then uh, for the first week, it's going to be Mike Taylor, former All-Big Ten linebacker, going to be joining us out there from 5 to 6. So uh, make sure to stop by. If you can't stop by, you can listen on 96.7 FM and 1670 AM, The Zone, and also we'll be obviously podcasting it so you can have something to listen to on that Friday leading into uh, Saturday's game. I guess not the first game be able to listen to it Friday leading into uh, Friday night's game against South Florida, but mostly usually Friday into Saturday games. So please make sure to check that out. Now, with that said, we'll move on and uh, see what we saw at practice here these last few weeks, Jesse. Uh, we'll start with this. Um, the biggest thing you learned in camp, and now camp is not over. It's over for us. We don't get to see anymore, but it's not over for the guys. There's about another week here. Um, but what biggest thing you learned? I always want to just talk about the quarterbacks <laughs> and how entertaining it's been. And, you know, Joe Rudolph has said this multiple times when he's talked to us and he said it at the local media that he's told Paul Chris that he can't remember seeing a quarterback group that was four deep where you felt like any of those guys could come in and actually play and you would feel comfortable and confident with that. And I don't think he was blowing smoke. I think from what we saw, it was pretty obvious, maybe three quarterbacks yeah, instead of say, four. You saw that um, look on my face, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, but I was going to get to that. You know, yeah. Danny Vandenboom wasn't really a part of this race from the outset of right. fall camp. They had to pare down snaps somehow, and so I think that was sort of the obvious decision. But Jack Cohn has clearly been, in my mind, the number one guy. He's taken the first team reps since spring practice, and I think when spring started, it was easy to say, well, he's earning those reps because he's got the most experience. But I feel like he held on to those reps because of what he did, the confidence he showed, and really the consistency. That's what it comes down to at the quarterback spot is who's going to make the fewest mistakes. And I think that's where the experience and the leadership comes in. But beyond that, and I wrote about this today in The Athletic, just Chase Wolf and Graham Mertz, watching those guys battle it out for what we presume to be the backup job, has been incredibly entertaining because each guy has had his moments. I felt like last week Chase really took advantage of his opportunities. He led a nice 12-play drive. And the things he can do are so unique in this quarterback room because of the way he can turn absolutely nothing into something. You know, a play that should end in a sack or an incompletion, he can get five yards out of it, and all of a sudden your offense is in better position. And with Graham, the install I think was really... Uh, tricky just because he was a true freshman and he even said when we talked to him that during that install there's subtle tweaks made within a particular play from different from what he did during spring practice and so I think it took him a little bit longer to get going but man he's made some throws this week where you just go that's that's the reason that they recruited him and so I think that has been really fun to watch I don't know that the pecking order is any different than what we maybe thought other than Chase Wolf making a serious run for the number two job yeah 
But I think it's encouraging to see how many quality quarterbacks there are in that room. Yeah, we did get a chance to chat, a uh, short chat with uh, Grand that you'll be hearing coming up here later in the show. Um, and, you know, it was, it was pretty telling. He said, you know, I'll, everybody else out in the world was expecting him to come in and 50-50 reps with Jack Cohn or, you know, getting more reps. And that just, he knew that wasn't going to be the case coming in. He has to work his way up uh, the depth chart. So you'll hear that in a little bit. But yeah, the quarterback race, especially those two guys, have been fascinating. I don't like, Paul was asked today, Friday, or whether there was a gap, whether Graham had closed the gap on Jack. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't really obviously answer, give an answer that we would love to hear. Like, yeah, he hasn't closed whatsoever, or he's closed it somewhat. He didn't give us anything of that. But um, he kind of made it seem like that the gap is significant. Like, to me, in my mind, taking him, taking his words and parsing them in, in, in my own head, there really isn't a gap. I mean, it's it's Jack Cohn being the starter, and the gap perhaps more is between Chase and, and Graham in terms of that backup job. I took his answer the same way that they're really, the, which is hard to do because I know he doesn't, he didn't come out and say anything. So yes. this is us taking, you know, uh, trying to decipher Paul Chris, which is probably never smart, but we're doing it anyway. But I, I took it the same way, and, and what I would also say is just because Jack could open the season as the starter doesn't mean things can't change down the road, and. When I was going back and looking, the backup quarterback, especially at Wisconsin, has been extremely important. If you look back seven of the last eight years, the backup has been required to play either because of an injury to a starter or ineffectiveness to a starter. Go back to 2012 with Daniel Bryan. Well, he got benched for Joel Stave. You know, we, we saw when Stave went in because Tanner McAvoy got benched. We saw Alex Hornerbrook play when Bart Houston wasn't effective. And then we've seen injuries, whether it's to Stave, even last year with Alex Hornerbrook and Jack Cohn winds up starting four games and playing in five. So just because the season may start this way doesn't mean it's going to end this way. And I think that the more opportunities a guy like Graham has just to practice uh, is going to be beneficial. I don't know what the ratio will be once the season starts, though, because if you pick your number one guy, you've got to be locked in and give him the majority of the snaps in a way right. you don't necessarily see during camp. And that's the thing. Like, and we were talking about this yesterday and trying to figure this out because uh, when we talked to when I asked John Budmeyer about it, well, he was asked whether it was still a competition or whether Jack Cohn had you know grabbed it, and he's like, no, no, there's you know still a competition, and everything like that. And I think he may have. I asked the question, and he may have thought I was asking, you know, is he your starter? And that's not what I was asking. I was whether you know, it was clear to him that Jack had taken a step and, you know, which had separated and whatever. Either way, I went back up and talked to him and I asked him, you know, and he started talking about the percentage of reps that guys are getting. And Jack Cohn is getting 60% of the first team reps. That leaves 40% for the other two. When they decide on a second quarterback, I don't think like Jack, his reps are going to go up to 90%. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's, it'll probably go to 75, you know? So it's not like it won't increase that much for him. And then it's going to be the, the rest will be for that backup. To me, Next Monday scrimmage, what Paul said they're going to make a decision after that. Not going to announce anything in terms of a quarterback, but I think the decision is more of who's your two, more so than who is your one. Yeah, I agree 100%. And what I think has been intriguing in this camp is that it hasn't been a slam dunk that it's automatically Graham. I mean, I think he's made some headway here in this last week, but I've been really impressed with the things that Chase Wolf has been able to do. Sort of a dark horse all along because as soon as he came in, Graham committed and everyone just forgot about Chase. Right. But he's got a lot of talent and a skill set that is unique. And loves the competition too. Uh, he dealt with that he dealt with that in high school and he certainly showed that he's more than capable of it. And I think he's surprised. I think he may be among the bigger surprises of fall camp, just because it he has been for a large stretch. At times, it looked like he had grabbed it and he was starting to run away with it. Graham pulled back this week, and I'll, I'll ask you, who do you got for your two right now? 
I feel like it's trending toward Graham. Me too. Um, but you know, it's last week I would have said right. this is Chase's job, but we hadn't seen anything from Graham. We just hadn't. And I, and you know, I, in the story that I wrote, like I'm pointing out all the positives and like l- l- Graham threw this 35 yard laser to Aaron Crookshake during practice on Thursday. And it was just like, wow. Yeah. And, and every once in a while he'll drop it in perfectly. And it's right. like, that's, if you see that every time, you know, but wow, he's going to be amazing. But you don't see time. that every time. And yeah. that's the thing. I mean, I, I would, you know, people listening and thinking like they're disappointed when they hear that Jack is the guy. Yeah. You know, they're not handing this to Jack because he has played before. Like he has earned this. Yep. And I will say, you know, Graham has overthrown more receivers than any quarterback I've seen during camp. Yep. And and it's not some just, of it. It's not even just the deep balls either. It's some of the, like the the, the short right. passes have, have sailed as well. And I think that maybe again that maybe go back to the feet thing that yes. that Bud Myers talked about. Yes. So so I, I think that with, with whether it's Chase or Graham, there are a lot of things that they need to work on yeah. uh, to get to a level where you would say like it is even even with Jack right now. Right. But if I had to pick just on the way things are trending, I feel like Graham is starting to get it. And again, man, I wish we could see that scrimmage on Monday. But yeah, we got sure. eight practices, and that's a heck of a lot more than a lot of other people get to see. Definitely. Um, all right. Biggest question you have remaining after camp. Is there going to be anybody left to play tight end? Oof. Um, that's one question that I'm, I'm interested to see. I mean, maybe not a sexy storyline. I mean, to me, it's always about what what position groups are thin, what what groups that struggled last year are going to be better. I mean, I, I feel like the defensive line is going to be better, but like a tight end, um, it's, you know, a, it's it, roughed it's, up. It's, there's not a lot of bodies no, there and, at, and you don't need a lot, still, but you need a few. At, at Wisconsin, you do. <laughs> In a I three mean, tight end set, you need a few. Right. And, you know, at one point this week, they have nine tight ends on the roster. Three of them were practicing. Yeah. You know, it was down to that. And luckily for them, Jake Ferguson, who did undergo surgery, uh, to repair a torn ligament in his left thumb on Tuesday, was already back at practice today, and he, he sure a, looked good. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, he was in a yellow contact jersey, and in the and it was his left hand. And so instead of going up with two hands to make a great catch at the back of the end zone, he went up with one and pulled it in for a touchdown on a pass from Graham Mertz. Um, so, but he's wearing a yellow non-contact jersey. I imagine he's going to have to wear something on that hand come uh, South Florida in two weeks. But the fact that he's back in, I think, suggests of how <laughs> desperate they are of. Uh, four tight ends. I mean, Luke Benshaw went down with a knee injury that doesn't look good. We don't know the long term, but I think it's it's going to be a long, long while before he's back. Um, you know, they were already without Gabe Lloyd, who's out for the season. Um, they lo- they lost Hayden Rucci briefly, it seems, right. with an arm injury to an arm arm injury. He was on a sl- he was in a sling for there, and now you know, and then he wasn't. Uh, Xander Neville has been walking around there for a while. You wrote a story about him. He's hoping. You know, at some point to be back, but it's you don't really know when that's going to happen. So they're they're hurting at tight end. It's really down to just a few bodies: Jake Ferguson, uh, Essenbach, uh, Clay Cundiff, uh, Seth Kearns, who was an inside linebacker in spring. And so they've been having to use like they did last year a jumbo tight end. We've seen David Mormon there, like to to get that blocking on the uh, on the field. Yeah, and even you use your fullbacks in a different way too. Yeah. Like uh, but, John Chanel is a guy that. Yes, but, they're going to use it as an H-back in that role, too, but he's a different body type from some of those other bigger bodies. Right, right. But he's also, like, last year they also felt that they could use Alec and Gold and, and, and Ramish, not even just last year, in past years, in all these different spots. These guys are young, him and Mason Stocky, they're young and have not played a ton of football, and so I'm not sure they have as much confidence in moving those guys around. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I'm, you know, you don't need every tight end to be a pass catcher. You've got Jake Ferguson, who's... 
one of the best, if not the best, in the Big Ten already right now. But you need guys that, when you, like I said, go to a three tight end set, have confidence that they can get the job done, even if they're not catching passes. And it's just like, I, I don't know. I there's going to be opportunities, maybe for even I don't know if Clay Cundiff is going to make a move and and actually contribute. But like, if you're a young guy, you got an opportunity to get some serious reps. And I thought Clay made the most of it. I mean, he might be a little ways away, but that's one question that I have is tight end. I feel like a lot of the the position groups and if we were to project it too deep there, they seem, they seem settled at this point. So, uh, I feel like we've learned a lot, but there's still some questions like backup running back touches. What's that going to look like? Whether it's Bradrick Shaw or Nakia Watson and Paul was very complimentary of Nakia. And I think Nakia has made some strides certainly and could be in that position. So there's a few unknowns, but I think we, we learned a lot. All right, uh, moving on to a little bit of sold or not sold, and we kind of touched on this before. Um, I guess I probably should have looked ahead in my outline before asking you the question. But either way, sold or not sold, Graham Mertz will be Jack Cohn's backup against South Florida. Well, you, I know how much you love when I hedge, so I'm not going to hedge. I'll, I'll say sold. I think he's going to be the backup. Um, but I, it may also depend on the circumstance. I mean, he can play with four games and still retain the red shirt. So is it is it the type of scenario where they say – if it's a blowout game and, and there's you're wondering where he's at in the four game thing, do they go to Chase? On the other hand, he needs those reps. Like th- yeah. you 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 can't make up for that. So I'm leaning toward Graham right now. Well, you think about it. Last year, when they were looked like they were trying to hold Jack Cohn's redshirt, they let Danny Vandenboom go in and throw a touchdown pass at the end of a game. So they've shown that they're willing to do that. But again, the year before, put Jack out there in meaningless situations and burned. Uh, a freshman year when they're when it's probably unnecessary but this is that is a different situation than it is now because you have the four games and you can do that but you may need Graham at the end he may be the end up being the best quarterback you may need him at the end and and Jack you know either whether Jack's hurt or whether inefficient whatever it is at some point he may be the guy and you would want to uh, give yourself an opportunity to hold on to the red shirt as, as much as possible but we'll see um Number two here, Jonathan Taylor going to be the first, will be the first running back since Brian Calhoun at Wisconsin with at least 40 catches. That uh, happened in 2005. He had 53 that year. He was a workhorse. I think he wore down towards the end of the year, but go ahead. I'm not sold on this one, and I'm sure I've talked about it before, but when I talked to John Settle in the summer, John was pretty clear that he felt like JT could potentially have 50 catches this season and in doing so would carry 50 fewer times and that would not only help his body but it would allow Wisconsin to be more versatile and JT to be more versatile because Settle felt like if they could get him one-on-one with a linebacker it's all over. Now I think that's a huge leap to make even 40 catches considering he had eight last year but what I will say is man did they use him a lot in passing scenarios during fall camp like it is clear they want to get him the ball whether he's out wide, whether he's catching passes out of the backfield. I mean, he caught a 20-yard touchdown pass from Jack Cohn on a wheel route, and that's like stuff you didn't necessarily see in the past. So they definitely want to get him the ball. I feel like maybe he could be in the 30 range. It's definitely going to be more than eight. I think it'll be less than 40, um, but I expect to see him more involved in that way. It's been a while since – I mean, you have to go back to, to Dare in 20 – I guess 16? 2015 or 2016, one of the, those two years where, where he was involved in the passing game a ton – to see where they get the ball to their guys. Uh, we've seen Garrett Groshek be involved in it, but and everybody has, that has listened to this before knows that they're in the backfield together. And the different, like, are there enough passes to go around to get to that 40 number for one of one of the two? And if we're going to be, uh, I'll just say this, they are finding ways to get Jonathan Taylor the ball in a variety of ways in a variety of places, whether it's out of the backfield, whether it's, uh, you know, lining up out wide, 
I I have a feeling they're going to force the ball his way one way or the other, whether it's screens, you know, checkdowns, actual routes. It's going. They're going to get him the ball in, in in many different ways, and it's not going to just be handoff left, handoff right. And so I think it's possible he gets to forty, but I would also not not sold that it's actually going to happen because that's a long time to go without without somebody getting to forty or more. Two thousand five. Now, of course, the offensive coordinator that year uh, for Brian Calhoun was Paul Christ. So um, he's shown a willingness to get the quarter, the the running back involved. He got James White involved, got Monty Ball involved. So. It's not that it hasn't happened. It's just 40 is a lot of balls. But even if he gets to 20 or 30, I think that's a pretty substantial difference. I mean, Kendrick Pryor is a guy we've been talking about forever. He had 23 catches last year. He's your he's your number three wide receiver. And so for someone like JT to potentially get 25 or 30 catches, I mean, that is a, a substantial difference considering the way they get players the ball. So, I, yeah, I think it'll be more than eight for sure. And it'll be intriguing to see all the ways they try and use him and Garrett. I, I feel like coming out of this fall camp, this staff has made a decision that they want to be more versatile and, and be different than they were last year. And and so I think that has to be encouraging. You say different from last year, and it's I think it's noticeable. Yes. And I think fans you know fans will see it August thirtieth. Because I don't think this is just a, a camp thing that we're seeing. And we we've kind of talked about that. Like maybe you show stuff in camp. It's just we're working through it, and maybe they're not going to actually see it in the game. I don't think that's the case. I think we're actually going to see a lot of this stuff that um, we haven't seen before in games. Uh, sold or not sold, Leo Chanel will make an impact on defense this season. Oh, I think I'm sold. on Defense. Not Leo? just special teams, yes. Yeah, I, I think Leo's going to be in the two deep at, at, as an right, inside right, but, linebacker but, and, and maybe the third line. Did Chris Orr make an impact on defense last year? He was I third, think he's going to be the, he third, was the third inside, inside linebacker last year. I think Leo's going to get some opportunities. I, I I don't know what that will look like, but yeah, I, I think it's a little bit different. I mean, you had last year you had TJ Edwards and Ryan Connolly, two arguably you know two of the better inside linebackers in the country. Like TJ had been a first team All American the year before. Connolly was like a butt kiss award semifinalist or something. They'd gone they went one two in tackles last year. They went one two the year before. I think it's a, a little bit different circumstance. So I, I feel like Leo is is kind of too talented to like keep him on the sideline the entire time. He just seems like he can make some game changing plays. We've talked about his strength and all those things, but he's got he seems to have this natural instinct. Like he he'll hit you hard and he'll find a way to get in there and make a tackle. So I I think I would expect him to contribute on defense. And he's got a stylish haircut now too. I don't know if uh, you saw it. They, all these freshmen get cuts, right? I mean, some of the some don't. Like, there are some guys that don't get cuts at all. I don't know. Maybe they just say we're not going to do it. But uh, in the inside linebacker room, that was not the case. Uh, they have Jack Sanborn and, and Chris Orr and uh, Mike Mascalunas doing the cuts, and it didn't look great for did not look great for Leo Chanel. Little rookie hazing. I asked Garrett Groshek about that. Like, hey, did you get your head all messed up? And he said, no, I was a quarterback then. So yeah. I don't know if like the quarterbacks are immune <laughs> to that. I, yeah, Graham's hair looks. Maybe fine. they're pretty boys. I don't know what it is. Maybe it is, but. In terms of what Leo can do, uh, I talked to him, and he's you know he's focused on obviously trying to climb up the depth chart and that type of stuff. But he also knows his role, and he's trying to force his way on the special on the various special teams. He is in the two deep on everything on special teams. I think he's on right now. He's only on uh, punt return in terms of uh, the no no kickoff. He's right next to his brother uh, John uh, Chanel. They are the they're both on kickoff right now, and he's trying to work himself up into the other um, thing. And I, I kind of asked him, like, you're not even thinking about 
you know, that red shirt, right? And he's, nope, not whatsoever. So he is going to make an impact. Look, inside linebackers, Ryan Connolly played through Hip. muscle torn off his his groin, right? No, what like what was it? It was a, a ligament, something like that. It, a muscle, no, he had muscle like ripped off his pubic bone, whatever it was. And uh, so he had to, so he played through that last year. I don't think there's a lot of guys who are going to play through that last year. And we've seen guys get hurt at that spot. So I feel like there's going to be opportunities for Leo, and I would agree. I think he makes an impact on defense. Leo is the one true freshman that I absolutely guarantee won't take a red shirt this year. <laughs> like I felt that way in the spring. Um, and I don't know if this is a good time or not, but while we're at it, I feel like That's good. You know, there's, there's three or four true freshmen that maybe even five that I think could contribute this season. Like Graham, obviously somebody who could contribute Leo as well, but we could have said that in the spring. The other guys that have stood out like Muma Jong Meta is an inside linebacker and he got some run with the twos, like sometimes over Mascalunas. That doesn't mean that's necessarily going to happen this season, but I thought, I mean, he's very he athletic. Yeah. And stood the, out. the thing about him is like his upside. He didn't play football until he was in ninth grade. Like he, he didn't even decide to go out for the team until he was like in the auditorium listening to a, a, a kid who went to his school who was going to go play football for Northwestern. And he was like so taken by this kid who was a leader and he wanted to be that kid. That's the only reason he went out for football and he became this Division One prospect. And yeah. so I think he's a really intriguing story. He's one of the, maybe the most intelligent kid I've ever talked to in, in terms of a recruit. Um, so he's somebody, Keanu Benton is it's the number two nose guard, it seems, because yeah. Gunnar Roberge hasn't been healthy enough. And so those Benton's are four guys. Too. I agree. I, he got in on a sack today. Yeah. You know, they can't actually sack the quarterback, but he was the first guy into the backfield. Yeah. So those those would be my top four. And then, you know, probably a handful of other guys. Like I, I mentioned Clay Cundiff. I don't know. I, I feel like there's maybe some other tight ends or they'll find other ways to get players involved. Right. And beyond that, um, there's two, two, really two other guys, I think. Samar Melvin got some run with the twos, yep. uh, with the corners. And help me out on, on the other one because I'm, I'm blanking right now. And on one other guy that it seemed like, Maybe now you put me on. Run. Now you put me on the spot. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think I don't think there has been. Um, obviously, I think Spencer Leto coming into fall camp, we were talking about him, but he hasn't practiced. Uh, he has been he's been out the entire spring camps or uh, fall camp. So I don't think, I I don't think there was another guy, was there? Ah, uh, I'm blanking. I don't know. Yeah, no, but no, <laughs> I, I would agree with you. I think Keanu Benton. I'll be honest. I think he may have even if when Gunnar Roberge is healthy, I think he may have passed him anyways. I think he's been impressive past where we thought he would be. I remember we were sitting there watching one of the first practices and it looked like he was overwhelmed in terms of, uh, you know, having to face what he was facing, but it hasn't, uh, you know, really phased him at all. He's come back and I think he's had a really good camp. So I would say him certainly. And then, yeah, I'm not even going to try. What's it? What's the, how do you pronounce it? Um, Muma, Jong Meta. Muma. Yeah. I'm just going to call, I'm just going to say Muma. Rodas Johnson. Yes, yes. No, they, well, yes. Today we saw him him get some run with what a the, little with the twos. I'm not saying he's going to contribute, but yeah. if I had to pick guys that I think would have a chance, those are the ones that stood out to me. Well, and here's the thing about that, and we kind of talked about it last year with uh, uh, Rashad Wildgus. wasn't ready at the yep. beginning of the year, and by game, three, I mean wasn't he was one that got pulled back off the sideline by uh, uh, he w- he went out there when someone got hurt. And he ran out there, and Jim Lerner's like, "No, get back here. You're not. No, we're not doing that." And so, uh, and he ended up starting a bunch of games towards the end. So it's not always what we see here in these two weeks that we've been able to see practice. They could be ready at any point and be able to play four games, or in Wild Goose's case, 
play a whole bunch of games and, and make a whole, make a big impact. So, yeah, that's uh, it'd be interesting to see. Um, and we'll finish with this here in the sold or not sold. I agree with so the Big Ten Network crew was in town on Thursday and they did their one day hit coming through and um, acting like they know everything. But uh, I agree with B, with the Big Ten Network crew when it says this year's team is better than last year's. I'm sold or not sold. I'm sold. <laughs> How's that for convincing? I mean, I feel like the offense is going to be better. I feel like the quarterback play will be better, and that's going to make a world of difference. On the other hand, I don't know if I. I feel like yes. Yeah. I think the defensive line will be better. I think the linebackers will be just fine, and I'm not that concerned about the secondary. So as I go through it, I, I just talked myself into it. But when you say better, to me, it goes back to wins and losses. Like it does, but but. Play also does too. They were not very good offensively. No, they last lost year. like four games by double digits last year. Which yeah, is they were not, of. they were not good offensively. They were not very good defensively. They were not a very good team last year. To get eight wins, it was was an extreme disappointment. You know, so that was not a great team by any stretch last year. They are a better team right now than they were uh, last year. The expectations were obviously huge. The thing I find interesting is I didn't think Thursday was their best practice. Like I didn't think that they were amazing by any stretch. Uh, we saw some things. I mean, like some of the throws that Graham made. You know, yeah, they stood out. But I didn't think that it was an overall impressive. Like I didn't think there was a ton of energy. So I'm, I'm was kind of surprised that they came out here and said that it was that much better than it was last year. Either way, I do uh, agree that, and I've, I've thought that way pretty much. You know, here these last two weeks that they are a better team than they were last year. We'll see if it actually ends up being eight wins because the schedule is much much more difficult. But they're a better team than they were last year. Now, welcome in a special guest. It is Badgers quarterback Graham Mertz. Graham, how was uh, fall camp going so far? It's been great. It's been great. It's been a great uh, addition to spring ball and getting a little bit extra tape in there and seeing what we need to improve on and seeing what we're doing good right now. Has anything stood out to you as maybe jumped out and as unexpected? Has anything kind of caught you at, by surprise at all so far in these, what, these first... 12, 13 days of camp? Not really. Uh, I know that as my position, being a freshman, you got to work your way up the totem pole. I know that the reps I got, I get, I have to maximize. And I know that you won't be handed anything in this game. And I know I got to work for everything, and I'm excited for that, and I'm ready for the challenge. We talked to uh, quarterback's coach John Budmeyer recently, and, and he broke down the reps as a 60, you know, with Jack Cohn getting 60% mm-hmm. of the first team reps, and then you and Chase splitting the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Were you expecting more coming in, and has it been a difficult to, you know, I guess compete for a job when you're not? potentially getting all the reps that uh, I guess the starter or that the number one guy is getting well I, I know that in this in division one college football you got to work for what you want and uh, you won't be handed everything I just said so uh, for me it was getting my reps and maximizing each rep and that will lead to getting more reps so for me I wasn't expecting to get 75 percent of the reps I knew that that wasn't realistic I knew that Jack had experience coming back and he would get most of the reps so for me it was seeing my reps and how can I maximize each rep and grow from each rep and then the additional thing to that is in reality you get 20% of the actual reps but in reality you get all the reps if you're sitting back there analyzing the defense and seeing what you got then you won't miss a rep during practice Graham coach Bud Meyer said uh, that the first four or five practices with the install can be a lot for mm-hmm. for a, a young player and he's seen you kind of progress steadily since that point what's been the difference since you've got it installed and do you feel a little more comfortable in the second week yeah well the thing was during spring ball we had we had like a set offense and we were feeling pretty good with it and then we started changing like little things in each play and for me it was just getting through that week of the minor tweaks and then 
hone in on the, the tweaks and how we're gonna like work with those. So for me, it really wasn't that big of an adjustment after we got through the first five days of camp. You had a great sequence in the two minute drill, um, like three straight completions. It just looked like really fluid and confident. What did you see there and why, why were things working so well during that sequence? Yeah, my thing that I always tell myself is don't flinch. Like when you see something and you like it, you throw it. And if you, if you hesitate, then you gotta get off it. So for me, it was seeing the, the route tree that we had going and just with the defense, everything fluid and just never flinching. You're just throwing everything you got. You've been uh, obviously competing for reps with Chase, mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to get your perspective on what makes him a special player and a little unique. What stands yeah. out to you about him? <laughs> yeah, I, I describe his game as like a little firecracker. He can run around and just throw it anywhere on the field, and uh, that's his personality too. He's a great guy. He's funny, and uh, when he gets on the run, his biggest thing is he can make any throw off platform, and we like to challenge each other on that and see like which throws we can make, which throws we can't make, and uh, I think that's a really, really cool part of his game. Do you ever find yourself comparing – your reps or throws with him knowing that um it's kind of been even throughout fall camp in terms of the reps that you guys have gotten well, yeah it's it's obviously been even but um for us it's just like i said maximizing our reps i know he has the same thought process on it and uh really we just we both got to be ready and i know that with the reps we've gotten we feel comfortable with what we got and we're confident in the playbook and what we can do with it so i think that for us we, we both see it and uh we both are we're competing for it so it's fun does competition go off the field a little bit too? Because uh, I know you guys got a dartboard up in that quarterback room. <laughs> is there is there any competition up there? Every day, every day, it's a competition all the time. So we go on the on the field for a little bit, and then we'll get done with film, and we'll probably knock out darts for about an hour, hour and a half. So that that'll, that'll be the extension of the competition. <laughs> he he says that uh, Danny uh, Vanderboom and Jack Cohn are the are the best up there. Is is that accurate? Danny's cold blooded when it comes to darts. He he just locks it in there and like oof. He's just steady with the 20s jack's like a steady 19 guy yeah he's a little like floater in it so he just nails the 19s and then chase and i just always go for the bullseye so that's <laughs> that's how we do it well that's that's danny being a wisconsin kid and being able to go to bars with his parents since he's been, <laughs> been about 12 i mean he'd be able to get, work Slight out advantage yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know just in terms of we were talking before uh we started this and your day is ridiculous what you start at 4 45 in the morning what what is your day like in fall camp yeah, it's, it's busy, but it's fun. And uh, for me, you wake up, you eat breakfast, and then you get a little tape in, and then you get taped, and then you go back, watch a little more tape, and then team meeting, and then special teams meeting, but we go back and watch more film. And then uh, we got we start practice, get done with practice right now. I'm about to go lift for about an hour, hour and a half. And then right now we're in move-out day, so I got to move out of my apartment in about an hour and a half to get that done, and then uh, come back watch a little film, have a walkthrough, and then team stretch, dinner, and then finish with some more film. So it's a, it's a full day. Has, has Madison been? I know obviously we talked in the spring and, you know, you had the summer and everything, but has Madison been everything you thought it would be? Everything and more. I love this place. I really, really couldn't imagine anything different. I couldn't imagine going anywhere different, which is, which is pretty cool, and I'm happy about that. <laughs> All right, Graham, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, uh, we'll get into a little few hypotheticals here. It's third and 10. If you're the quarterback, which wide receiver or tight end are you looking to get a first down? Jake Ferguson. <laughs> are you? Okay. He's a big body, and big I, body, I feel like it's he's... third and 10. It ain't third and four. We're not, we're not doing a little five-yard hook and turn around and throwing the ball. 
I'm 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 gonna go with him. I, I don't know. I, I could pick any of the, know, the, the top saying. receivers. I mean, Danny Davis is the guy that I'd go can Danny go Davis. up and get it with one hand. So yeah, yeah I go. Danny. It's probably between those two. I guess it depends. Yeah, you know. But again, you know, Kendrick Pryor's had a great camp too. Yes, he has. Um, Jack Dunn has had a really really good camp. Um, and, and you know, with AJ Taylor going down, and with now Danny Davis being injured, um, the Davis injury, he had a boot on his foot, but I think he was okay because he was dancing most of the practice. Um, and AJ Taylor was back in a limited fashion on Thursday and then sat out uh, on Friday. But with those guys out, other guys have stepped up. KP's had a huge had a huge camp. Jack Dunn's had a really big camp. I, I honestly believe if you had to pick the depth chart, I think Jack is the fourth wide receiver right now. And look, I know Aaron Krukshank makes the, the highlight reel plays and winds up going viral because he gets a one-handed diving catch and Bleacher Report retweets it. But And I talked to receivers coach Ted Gilmer about this. I mean, both Adam Krumholtz and Jack Dunn. And Paul Christ actually said it yep. uh, after practice on Friday as well. There was clearly the top five receivers were the three that, that we all know with, with KP, with A.J. Taylor, Danny Davis, and then Jack Dunn and, and Adam Krumholtz as well. They could be used in different scenarios. But Dunn made so many plays during camp. I went back and looked. Monday they had a, a scrimmage. It went 100-plus plays. I think he had 128 yards receiving on four catches, um, and he was great after uh, during Thursday's, Thursday's practice, practice too. Yeah. He, he caught a long t- uh, completion from from Jack Cohn. I think it was like 68 yards or something like that. Double move. He Sick. double moved for a 38 yard touchdown down the right sideline, and so yeah, he's not the flashiest. It's not the sexiest name, but he is steady, and and that's kind of what you're looking for. Right. And I asked some of the DBs about what makes him difficult. You know, if you don't get your hands on him right away, it's going to be a problem because he can get because he's got so much. Uh, he's so quick and he's got so many moves. And look, the quarterbacks are looking for him, and maybe it's just because of where he is in the offense. Maybe that's just where the read is. But it feels like he has seen more balls his way than any other guy. And um, you know, maybe that you know playing in the slot, playing where AJ Taylor normally would be. Maybe all those catches are going to AJ instead, but I don't know what kind of impact a guy as your fourth receiver is going to have. Right. But if it goes, but if someone in front goes down, all of a sudden it opens it up. And yeah, Paul Chris was asked about young guys. Had any young guys stood up? Because he had been asked earlier in the camp, "What do you need to see? We need some young or young wide receivers to step up. Any of them have any of them stepped up? No. We need. We still. We need more. And he's not just referring to Aaron Crookshank. He's talking about AJ Abbott and uh, Taj Mustafa, though. I think those guys have flashed a bit. I agree. I thought AJ Abbott did some really good things. And yeah, Graham Mertz, big day on Tuesday. Uh, no, off. Wednesday, um, a 35-yard touchdown from from Graham that was right on the money that went to AJ Abbott, and I think a play later went to him as well. Um, so I I, th- I thought that they had flashed, but um, it's clear. You obviously talked to Tell Gilmore that there's a clear pecking order, and it doesn't involve those young guys yet. Not yet, no. But I do think it shows that the depth of talent is there, and Gilmore deserves a lot of credit for the guys that he's brought in. But it is interesting that your four and five are, are two in-state walk-ons. It just it always seems to happen that way at Wisconsin. You got guys who just work their butts off and find a way to contribute. Yeah. Uh, another hypothetical game of the line. Need a forty-four yard field goal to win. Which kicker are you sending out? Oof. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Colin Larsh from 44. If it was from 54, that's I would why, say Zach Hintz. And that's why I put it at 44. I, I think I mean they you know Paul was asked at the local media day the day before fall camp began about the kicking battle if if it was wide open or open. He said it's wide open, and I thought. Ah, Do you have a favorite? No. Nope. I thought nah, this feels like it's Colin's job, but like really they went one and two. They just kind of split reps. One guy would take the ones. The next practice, the other guy would take the ones. It feels to me like Colin 
yeah. will be the guy. I mean, v- very recently he made all three of his field goals during one of the one of the um, scrimmages. It might have been the Monday scrimmage actually, and I think Hints was two for four. So you're looking for consistency out of that spot. But if it is a long range field goal, Hints is your guy. He set the state record in high school. He made like a 62 yarder, yeah. 61 yarder. He tried a 60 plus yarder last year. So that's kind of where I'm at on that. But this is this is a really interesting part of the season. As we've seen before, we have our impressions and we think something's going to go a certain way. And we don't know what's going on behind the scenes during this week, which is one of the most critical weeks of the season because they are actually finalizing their decisions based on what happens, not entirely next week, but it's that, been a process. Yeah. I mean, stuff changes. We thought Joel Stavi was going to be the quarterback under Gary Anderson and Tanner McAvoy winds up the starter. So still you never should've, know what he can still happen. Should have of been course the he should have, but right. we don't want to get on that train because we'll be here another hour. <laughs> um, all right, another one. Jonathan Taylor, God forbid, for the Badgers' sake, goes down with an injury. I like how you said that so seriously. For the Badgers' sake, which of the backups takes his role as a featured back? In that role, I feel like it'd be Garrett Groshek, honestly. But in, in JT's role. See that, I, I, see, I feel... Like I feel like Gary has a different role. He does than JT. It'd be Nakia Watson. I, okay. and it'd be a combination. I don't think you could have one guy get like the thirty carries. carries a game. <laughs> um, I I think Groshek's going to have a bigger role this year. But Nakia Watson, it seems, has emerged in that battle between he and Bradrick Shaw. And I thought Paul also it was complimentary of both players. But in particular, it seemed like he was pretty excited about the things Nakia had done. And I feel like Nakia has had. Some nice bursts. I think he had like a 15-yard run today. I know during that scrimmage he had a couple really impressive runs. I know Shaw had a 20-plus yard run, but it feels like Nakia is starting to emerge in there. In that scenario, I don't think you would say, hey, Nakia, here's 250 carries this season. I think it'd be a combination. I think Garrett would be involved. We always see with the running backs, when you actually get to tackle guys, things look a little bit different. And I thought that Monday scrimmage kind of pointed that out. We saw guys. It's not as easy to tackle Nikia Watson when you're just able to two-hand, you know, when you actually have to get him down on the ground as opposed to two-hand touch or, you know, thud. And the same thing with Bradrick Shaw, who, does it feel like he, I know Paul was asked about it, but does it feel like he's incrementally starting to feel more and more comfortable and even in the tackling spot? He hadn't been tackled in a long, long time uh, up until that scrimmage. And Paul even talked about that too. And yeah, I think so. There's there's a mental hurdle you have to overcome, right? You yeah. you tear your ACL and, you know, even it just it never happened for him last year. It's, you, there were small setbacks and it kind of wrecked the season. And even in this spring, it wasn't until late in spring practice when you started to see him participate even in like individual drills. So, yeah, I think there's a big difference when you not only just get thudded up, but but you get hit that you say, OK, my knee is OK structurally right and I didn't see a lot of big plays from Bradrick but just the fact that he's out there working occasionally with the twos I think is encouraging and he's a guy that could contribute it just it, it depends how this pecking order falls it just sort of to me feels like Nakia is going to have that opportunity first yeah and we had talked you know I think probably back in the spring potential guys could potential freshman that could play right away Julius Davis I think was talked about as potentially you know maybe if he gets all the way back from the core injury that he had or the the sports hernia surgery that he had that has not happened uh he ended up having to have surgery again uh on his core and so he's out indefinitely and we're not sure I I think it's likely that we won't see him again until March you know just in terms of uh, on the field I'm saying um you know he may get back and practice at some point but I don't see him having any kind of impact this year right now I don't know. Uh, last hypothetical here. Leo Chanel, John Chanel, 
meet head to head in a running lane. Who who's going? Who's going back? Which one's going back? This is like impossible to pick. Like I, I, <laughs> we I don't even know it, who to pick. But we've seen them do it in practice. And, and Leo was talking about. He goes, yeah, they always try and match us up in these drills, and we just go at it. Can I pick John for the sole reason of seniority here? Like he's the <laughs> older guy. I don't know. I, I guess there's some science behind this. Like how? What type of head of steam does John have if he's starting first? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Wisconsin has been so fortunate to get both these guys, and I know that they're only really at the very beginning of their potential here. Leo hasn't even played yet, and John was on special teams last year for the most part. But, you know, if those guys aren't in Grantsburg, like if they're in Milwaukee or something like that. John's not a walk-on in that case. I don't, I'd be curious to see what other schools would have been interested. And I think sometimes you see these numbers in small school football and you wonder how good they really are. Well, those guys really are. Yeah. Very good. Definitely. Um, I'm going to close with this. Uh, we were both at the, um, press conference on Monday with Quintez Cephas. And the show of support, obviously, from his teams, we saw it in the letter. We saw it behind him there. What, if any, impact do you think this will have on this season? Whether he's whether he's here or not, whether he's allowed back into the school or not, do you, is, there, is there anything like still hanging over them? Because I know last year, a completely different situation, obviously. There was so much unknown in terms of you know, the case and how it was going to affect him. And there was the legal aspect of it. This, this is a little bit different now, but do you, ha- do you anticipate having any impact? I really don't. Not, last year was such a, as you said, it was a different circumstance, but like Quintez was practicing with them during a portion of fall camp. And it was only about two weeks before the season opener when ultimately he left the team and, and all, all this went down. And, and this year, I mean, they, he hasn't been involved with the team and team activities for a year plus. Now, in a situation where he would be readmitted and, and choose to want to play football, that would be very different because now you've all of a sudden got your number one wide receiver back. That changes everything. But just in terms of where things are at now, I think the players have, have voiced their support. They Seven of the players signed a co-signed a letter addressed to, to UW Chancellor Rebecca Blank. And beyond that, there's really nothing more they can do. Um, and I, I don't... I think feel like the natural question after this is like, what's going to happen? And I have no idea. Obviously, Sevis's lawyers held that press conference to put some pressure on the university uh, by saying they had sent them 250 plus pages of documents and everything that they felt they needed to make a decision. But the university doesn't have a a specific deadline where they have to decide. And and they issued a statement that obviously they're going to do their due diligence. And we have no idea when that decision will come. Uh, and if it will be in Quintez's favor, you know, it could be three months from now. And in that case, football is not in play here this season. So, but yeah, I will, you know, say that is less important, obviously, um, for Quintez than being readmitted and having opportunity an opportunity to continue his education, whether it's at Wisconsin or somewhere else. So gut feeling on whether he ever plays again at Wisconsin? If I had to pick right now, my gut feeling is is no, simply because I don't know how long it will take the university to act. And even when they do, we don't know right. the criteria that they are judging it by. And I think that's part of this is a lot of people say, well, he was found not guilty in that trial, which ended August 2nd. And the university has a different set of circumstances that they can evaluate this on. And so I, I, it's very complex and obviously not up to us to decide. It isn't. Definitely not. But I feel like that, and, I, and I've said this a number of times in, in different places, if he is not allowed back in, like if, he, if he's allowed back in, I think that's a local story. And it gets a lot of press around here. If he's not allowed back in, that turns into a national story. 
and I and I, the lawyers are going to play that up as hard as they can, uh, and rightfully so. If that's that's the way that they think they can uh, put pressure on the university, I know that um, uh, a number of uh, leaders in the African American community wrote a letter as well uh, this week to Chancellor Blank, uh, pushing for uh, Quintus Sevis's reinstatement. I just feel like it's not going to happen before the semester starts. And what happens when that does not happen? I feel like it's going to turn into a huge, huge story. And I don't know if they, I mean, Wisconsin, the football team has been pretty clear about what they feel and how they feel about him and and the support that they have for him and putting them at odds with the university. That's going to be a a national story. It's going to bring uh, the attention back to Wisconsin. And I don't, I'm not saying it's going to have any kind of impact on the football season, but it's not great to have that hanging over a program um, and a university. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. The big question is, when will a decision be made? It's possible. Well, I think it gets pushed into the end of the season. And at exactly. Some point, and it at may some, even go past. And at you some, never know. Right, right. And everyone's talking about how why this should happen so quickly. Well, if you think about his situation, has it's played out like molasses. It has been so slow. The entire, I mean, the incident happened in April of 2018. It was not charged until August of 2018. He was not actually expelled from the university until spring of 20 uh, of this past spring. Um, and then the trial, which was supposed to start in, uh, was it February, late, late January, February, gets pushed until late July. You know, like all this has happened so slowly. And now all of a sudden we want them to make a, a determination right now. And I think that's, it's probably unrealistic on our part. Um, as much as everyone wants a decision right now and let's move on, I, I'm not going to be shocked if he gets pushed out. And the UW, to be honest, I think uh, at some point he does, like this is my gut feeling. I think at some point he does get reinstated to the university, but I don't think he actually plays football at Wisconsin. I think that's a distinct like, possibility. Like I think academically he gets right so that he can go somewhere else and play his, I guess would be his final season somewhere else. But again, that's all up in the air and, it's almost football time. Two weeks from today, Wisconsin will be down at South Florida and taking on the Bulls, and Jack Cohn will be the quarterback. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.